The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. Uh, last weekend, we began a brand new series of messages that we're simply calling God's at War. It was inspired by a book that I had the opportunity of reading a few months back. And, and God just really has used many different books and some studies on this subject of idolatry, really just to kind of wreck my own heart. And as I've been going through this personal spiritual journey on my own, I I just felt the Lord leading me to really uh, bring our church family into this particular study. And so today is part two of our introduction on this study of God's at War. It really is a study on the subject of idolatry in the life of the believer. Uh, The topic of idolatry is mentioned over 1,000 times in the scripture. In fact, the first two of the Ten Commandments deal with this subject of idolatry. Now, as we get started here, I think it's important to bring out that the Bible uses a lot of visual imagery. Uh, The Bible uses a lot of metaphors to describe deep spiritual things in the Word of God. I think of the book of Isaiah where the Bible says, we shall mount up with wings as eagles. Now, uh, that's visual imagery. That's, That's metaphor. Obviously, the Bible is not teaching that when we face a trial, wings are going to grow from our back and we're going to start flying around the city. That's not what it's describing. It's a metaphor. It's visual imagery to help us as finite human beings understand the deeper things of the spiritual life. And and so I want to say to you, just in the way of introduction here, uh, don't get too caught up on just getting fixated on, well, idol worship was something they did in pagan times, and we I don't see that today, and we don't have Buddhas and statues that we bow down to. So obviously this is irrelevant to us. Okay, understand that the Bible is speaking using visual imagery. It's speaking using metaphor to help us understand something very real that happens in the heart of believers. That is to say, what we're talking about over these next few weeks is when we allow in our hearts something to be elevated to a place of authority. When we allow someone or something to literally be enthroned on the throne of our hearts. And now whatever that thing is now has authority over our lives. It is able to set the agenda over our schedules, set the agenda over our lifestyle choices. And so really that's what we're talking about. That's what this series, God's at War. Notice it's lowercase g. As if to say there are things that elevate themselves to the position of God in our lives. And this whole series is trying to help us as believers ask ourselves the question, are there things that have enthroned themselves on the throne of our hearts? Things that now get to set the agenda for what we do. Get to set the agenda for our schedule. Get to set the agenda for our budget. Get to set the agenda for our time management. Are there three things that have, have literally uh, elevated themselves above God, his will, and his word in our hearts? And so that's really the, that's really the point of this entire series, all right? And so the Bible uses the visual metaphor, the visual imagery of idol worship and idolatry to help us understand this deep spiritual concept. You say, well, I don't like that imagery. I don't like that metaphor. Well, we could use another one found later in the prophets where the Bible says adulterers and adulteresses. All right. We've chosen not to use that particular metaphor for this series. All right. But God sometimes will refer when this happens in the heart of a, of a believer, 
he calls it spiritual adultery. When we allow someone or something to gain more authority in our lives over God and his word. Uh, In kind of review, some of you may have not been here last week. We said that ancient pagans had idols and gods for everything, all right? I mean, literally, for war, for love, for commerce, trade, business, literally for everything. They had these gods that they would worship and these gods they would sacrifice to and these gods that they would perform rituals around. And and we said last week there was, I think we even got some pictures here today, uh, Mars was an ancient pagan god of war and uh, people would literally sacrifice oxen to this god here, god Mars, in order to secure his favor and to secure his blessing. There was the god of Pluto. This was the ancient pagan god of wealth and and, uh, when you wanted wealth and when you wanted to be prospered, then you would sacrifice to this idol. You would perform the rituals that this idol demanded in order to secure his favor and to secure his blessing. Uh, There was Venus. This was the ancient pagan goddess of love. Mercury, the ancient pagan god of commerce and trade. Uh, There was Athena, the ancient pagan goddess of learning and education. And each one of these pagan gods had certain sacrifices. They had certain rituals that you would perform if you wanted to secure their blessing. Rituals that you would have to navigate through if you wanted to earn their favor. And there were gods for different things. And and, and we're a little more sophisticated now in the 21st century. Uh, our, Our gods are not made out of statues. Our gods are not made out of brick and mortar. What began to happen in the latter parts of the Old Testament now, literally, uh, these idols became more sophisticated. They became idols of the heart. That's why in Ezekiel chapter number 14, God says, these men, they're different. They're not worshiping pagan idols. They're not worshiping gold and silver and stone. He says, these men have set up idols, notice this, in their hearts. They have allowed the creation of this world, things God has given to them, things that God has blessed them with. And the Bible says that these men have now taken these things and made them idols of the heart. They have literally enthroned them in their lives, giving these things literally authority over their schedule, authority over their budget, authority over their entertainment choices. And now these things have enthroned themselves to where they have more authority than God and and his word. Billy Graham had this to say about idolatry, and I don't know that I'd necessarily agree with everything Billy Graham would say, but notice what he said in regards to this subject. Though today we may not bow down to idols made of stone or metal, as people did in ancient times, that doesn't mean we don't have our own idols today. Things that we serve just as zealously as they did until... We are slavishly following them and allowing them to become the most important things in our lives, dictating what we will do and what we will not do. We give these things the power to dictate our priorities, our values, our schedules, and our spending. Which is why Romans chapter number 1, at the very beginning of the book of Romans, the Bible says these have changed the truth of God into a lie and worship and serve the creature. Those things God created, those things God has given, those things God has blessed with us. Literally that word creation rather than the creator. We allow the creator of all things to be demoted and we allow something he's blessed us with 
something he's given to us, something that's good, and we elevate that to a position of authority in our life. That thing now gets to uh, set the agenda. That thing now gets to set the priority. That thing now has authority in our lives. We defined it last week. Idolatry is seeking anything smaller than Jesus to give you what only Christ can give you. Now, let me just say this for a moment. Each and every one of us were wired for worship. When you were created by God, you were put, something was put inside of you that longs to worship. You were wired for worship. You were designed to worship. Literally in the fabric of your DNA, you were hardwired to worship something or someone. And so when we no longer worship God the way he demands... When we demote him and no longer allow him to sit on the throne of our heart, because we are hardwired for worship, something or someone will take its place. You cannot help but worship something or someone because you were wired for it. You were designed to worship. Before you got saved, you were a worshiper. Before you accepted Christ as your savior, you were a worshiper. And that's what we're going to look at today. How each and every one of us worship something or someone. Inside your service program that you should have received on your way in this morning, uh, there is a little outline that you can use to follow along through our Bible study. I hope it'll be a help to you as we take some time just to study from the Word of God together this morning. Like I said earlier, this series is more like one long, giant sermon. It is not exhaustive by any stretch of the imagination. Really, when, when I was working on this, it ended up being about an six to eight hour sermon. And I thought nobody is going to sit in this auditorium for eight hours as I preach through this sermon. So I divided, decided I just kind of cut it up into portions. So with that being said, we're not going to answer every question each and every week. All right. And I really feel bad about that because I like personally to kind of shore things up every hour. And, and this series doesn't lend itself to doing that. In fact, for some of you, you walked away last week with more questions than you got answers to. And, and this is going to be in some degree, some more of the same, but if you'll stay for the whole series, I promise you, as we move through this subject, as we move through this topic, we're going to answer these questions as we go along. All right. And so I hope you'll bear with me through this. If you are physically able, one of our traditions around here is to kind of stand out of respect for God's word. And so if you If you would join me in doing that, we'll read from our text, Joshua chapter number 24. Uh, I'll read it here in just a moment, starting in verse number 15. To give you some background, Joshua is now the leader of the children of Israel. Moses has died. He's passed off the scene. And now all of a sudden we see Joshua leading the children of Israel. And he's about to enter into the promised land. And he makes a statement. Literally, he preaches a message. And I love this. And we're going to kind of dive into it a little bit today. The Bible says in Joshua 24, 15. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord. So Joshua says, hey, if you don't want to serve God. If you don't want him to be the king of your life, if you don't want him to sit on the throne of your life, if you don't want him to dictate your schedule, your budget, your lifestyle, your choices, if, if, if that seems like a bad thing to you if, you, if you're not comfortable with that, he says, I need you to do something. He says, then choose you this day whom ye will serve. Now focus on that phrase. We're going to come back to it in just a moment. It's very important. So he gives them some, cho- some choices. He says to them, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. And then he goes on to say, and I love this statement, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. 
And so I say to the Ambassador Baptist Church, maybe you're uncomfortable with this idea of God being sovereign in your life. And and maybe you're uncomfortable with God literally being the Lord of your life, the master of every detail of your life. If you're uncomfortable with that, here's what I'm going to say. I'd echo the words of Joshua where he says, okay, you don't want to serve. You don't truly want to allow God to be in sovereign control. You don't want him to be the master. Okay, then choose who it is you're going to serve. Make a conscious choice about it because mark it down. You're going to serve something. You're going to serve someone. And so today I just simply want to speak on this subject. Your three choices. Your three choices. As we talk about this idea of idolatry. When I'm done praying, we're going to show a quick video. And then we'll get into our Bible study this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, God. I confess before you right now that I am absolutely incapable, God. Of communicating the truths that need to be communicated this morning. Lord, I feel insufficient right now. And yet, Lord, I am resting in your all-sufficiency. Lord, I I cannot communicate these deep truths in a way, Lord, that are true to your word. Unless your spirit speaks through me. And so, God, I beg you, please, God. Do through me what I am absolutely incapable of doing on my own, Lord. I know I don't have this in me. But Lord, I know you have it in you, so speak, Lord, in a way that you can. Lord, I pray that you would bless our Bible study. I pray that you would enlighten our hearts and minds to the realities of your word. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I was coming up against something I could not manipulate and I could not do anything about it. I started to feel this this desperation. I really felt like a mistake. But I knew how to feel good. And so I would eat. It seemed the most logical thing was to try to become as successful as possible in the business world. I always had this incredible desire to prove myself Chuck Colson, White House hatchet man. I needed to to fill this desire to be acceptable, to be loved. I was willing to pay any price. It was my identity. I kind of loved politics. It's the ultimate power game, ultimate power trip. I'm living this life, going to prayer meetings with the men of the church. and In the meantime, we'd brought a computer into our house and I'd discovered internet porn. Call it addiction, call it sexualizing my needs. They were idols. Food had literally become the counterfeit lover. I had become an idolater. Everything I'm about is to serve the God of money. My gods were uh, get ahead, get power. That's what I was worshiping. That was that was my God. That was my God. The idols they never satisfied. They never satisfied. very closely at our text once again in Joshua chapter number 24, because I want you to notice an interesting word that's brought up in verse number 15. The Bible says there at the beginning of the verse, if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day. Here's the word I want you to circle if you're used to doing this in your Bible. It's the word whom. Now you say, why is that so important? Here's why. Notice what the Bible does not say. Uh, Sometimes we can learn as much in our Bible study by what is not there, by what is there. Notice it does not say choose you this day if you will serve. 
It doesn't, it's, not, it's not implying that, well, you might serve God and you might not serve anything. See, that's not the choice we're given. In this particular passage, it is assumed that every one of us were designed and created to be worshipers. And so when God inspired this portion of the Bible, he did not say, choose you this day if you will serve. He understands because he designed you to be a worshiper. He designed you to serve something or someone. He knew that inbred in the heart of every human being is this propensity toward worship. He understands that all of us will worship something thing or someone. And so the Bible is very clear when it says, I want you to choose. Choose you this day who? Choose you this day what you will serve. Because as the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, as he speaks into this, he understands that you're already serving something. You're already serving someone because you cannot help but worship. You were created to for it. You were designed to enthrone something in your heart. You were designed to allow something to be the final authority in your life. You need something to tell you what you should and should not do. And depending on your background and depending on your personality and depending on your training, depending on a whole lot of things, depending on how much time you spend in the word of God may dictate what enthrones your heart. But mark it down, something does. Something is calling the shots. Something is your God. Now, it may not be the true and living God, capital G-O-D. It may be a counterfeit God, a substitute God, a lowercase G-O-D God. And so that's what we're talking about here. These gods that are at war, these gods that are trying to enthrone themselves in our lives, these gods that are trying to be the one that says, this is how you'll live, and this is what you'll value, and this is what you'll prioritize, and this is what you'll spend, and this is how you live. Something or someone is going to be the little G-O-D God idol of your life. And so Joshua comes along, he recognizes this, and he says to the children of Israel, you've got a choice today. You've got to make the conscious choice of who you will serve. And in this passage, we see three choices that are given to us. I think they're going to put this up on the screen. But we must begin with one fundamental fact about worship. And that is this. At this very moment, and for as long as this world endures, everybody inhabiting it is bowing down and serving something or someone. An artifact, a person, an institution, an idea, a spirit, or God through Christ. We are all worshipers. Before you came to know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, if you're a believer here today, you still worshiped. See, we have this real misconstrued idea of what worship actually is. We think, we think worship is lifting our hands and praising God. We think worship is, a, is these acts. Can I say that those things are expressions of worship. However, they are not the essence of worship. And when you confuse the two, you have a misunderstanding of what true worship is. You must understand the difference between an expression of worship and the essence of worship. You see, worship in its essence is where I allow something or someone to enthrone themselves on the throne of my life, to literally become the king, the ruler, the one in control, the one who calls the shots. And for a lot of us, we have many different gods in our lives, just like the ancient pagan Romans did. We have a god that we have for our workplace, and we have a little god that we have for this. And these different gods that call the shots, that set the agenda in these different arenas of our life. And so that's what we're talking about today. 
Who is on the throne of your heart? Who sets the agenda? What calls the shots? What do you value above all? What do you prioritize above all? That is the question we're seeking to answer here today. We're all worshipers. We always have been and we always will be. The real question is who or what are we worshiping? What is it that we're elevating to that position of authority? What is it that we're elevating to the throne room of our soul? What is it that gets to call the shots? What is it that gets to be the authority? Mark it down. It's something or someone. And let no person deceive themselves into thinking, I have no gods. The person who says that might be struggling with the greatest god of them all. The god of self. The god of me. The god that says, nobody's going to tell me what to do. I'm in charge. And you, and oftentimes me, we set ourselves up to be our own gods. The god of self. So let's begin reading in our passage, because I want you to see here these three choices that we have when it comes to who we'll serve. Let's begin by reading the beginning of verse number 15. The Bible says, and if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, if, you, if you're uncomfortable with this idea of, of letting God have lordship in your life and letting him be the ultimate dictator of your schedule, your priorities, your agenda, your values, if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, then he says, you've got to choose. You've got to make a conscious choice. You're going to serve. You're gonna, something is going to be in control, something or someone. You, and so choose. And so he gives them some options here. And it says, if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day, not if you will serve, but whom you will serve. It's going to be something. It's going to be someone, so make the choice. Be conscious about it. Don't just float through life thinking, well, nothing is in charge of me. Nothing's controlling me. I don't serve no God. No, you do, so make a conscious choice about it. At least have the wherewithal to know that something's in control. Something's driving you. Something's motivating you. Something's in authority. Something is the one that sets the agenda for these arenas of your life. And so Joshua says, at least have the spiritual wherewithal to know that. And to make the conscious choice of who it's going to be. And I hope every one of you walk out of here today and say, you know what? I choose to serve this. And you might not choose what I choose. You might not choose to allow God and his word to be the ultimate authority in your life. But I hope you'll walk out saying, at least I'm going to choose. I'm not going to kind of flitter through this. I'm going to make a choice. This This is who's going to be in charge. And that's my heart here today. So notice what it says. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Now, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood. That little statement gives us some insight into the first God, little g, the first idol, the first thing that we can have thrown on the throne room of our heart. And that is this. Sometimes the idols we surrender authority to, the idols that we, if we can use the word, worship, And if you struggle with that word, I don't worship, then just maybe you don't have a biblical definition of the word worship. We're going to get into that later. If you're like, I don't worship this thing. Maybe you don't actually understand what the Bible means when it uses the word worship. Maybe your idea is the expressions of worship, bowing down, singing praises. And that's not worship in its essence. That's worship in its expression. And so you say, well, I don't worship those things in that expressive way. But can I say this biblically at its essence, by the biblical definition, maybe you do worship some things that you don't even realize it. By biblical definition, the biblical essence of worship. And he says, I want you to choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the fathers, which were your fathers served on the other side of the flood. And I want to say this. Oftentimes the idol worship, 
the gods, the little g that we worship in our lives, are generational. That is, we tend to give authority to the same things our parents did. And so Joshua stands up and says, hey, are you going to serve the same little G-O-D gods, the same little idols, the same little things that your parents served? Because this is often the case in my life. It's often the case in your life, too. Because we were raised by particular parents, we were trained in a particular way. It is very common for us to simply adopt the little G gods, the little idols that our parents had. And if our parents had a, and their, their idol, their you know, God was achievement and success and drive and, and, and not in a healthy way, but in an unhealthy way, an unhealthy way. And, and it just was just, they stormed over family and stormed through their relationships. And it just was in a very unhealthy manner. Had this, they were on this quest for achievement. It's, it's amazing how sometimes as children, we will adapt those same idols. If, if you grew up in a family where money possessions and materialism was valued above what God says it should be valued as. And, and money's a good thing. It's a great servant. It's a gift from God. But maybe in your family, it had an elevated position of authority. Money got to be the thing that called the shots. Money got to be the thing that set the agenda. Money got to be the thing that dictated how we behaved and how we lived and how we set our schedules. And, and in your family, money, material possessions were enthroned in your life. Sometimes that gets passed on to children. You see, sometimes idol worship, the gods are the gods of our fathers, the gods of our, if we want to say it this way, of our ancestors. And we simply adopt the gods of our family line. And, and this is really difficult. Here's why this is difficult. Because you were trained as a baby to worship these gods. And most of the time when this is the case, you're not even aware of it. You don't, you, you, you don't, you don't, you're not even aware that you're worshiping these things of God. Because they are so formatively wired into the DNA of how you were raised and how you were trained. That you don't even see them as being idols. You don't even view them. As being little g gods, things in authority that dictate your life, dictate schedule. And so Joshua comes along and he says, hey, are you going to worship these idols? Are you going to give authority? Are you going to enthrone these little g gods that your parents served? The things that were important to your family? The things that were important to your parents? The things that your parents valued? The things that your parents had as a worldview? Let me say it this way. Sometimes the idols from our past are not necessarily idols that our parents had. They're not necessarily the little G-O-D God that our parents had. Sometimes these idols, sometimes these gods, are gods from before we got saved. Like we said a minute ago, every one of us have always been worshipers. We've always worshipped something or someone. We've always allowed something or something, someone to become the authority, the final authority, the one that sets the agenda for our lives. And so before you got saved, you worshipped, whether you realize it or not. Well, I didn't lift my hands. I didn't bow down. I'm not talking about the expressions of worship. I'm talking about the essence of worship, what God defines worship to be, that is elevating something other than him to a place of authority, a place of agenda setting, a place of value in your heart above God and his word. Now, can I say this? Probably all of us allowed some things to rise in authority in our lives before Jesus Christ came on the scene. Makes perfect sense, right? We were carnal. We were unsaved. We didn't have God in our life. So we did. Most of us would have. The problem lies when when we get saved, we come to Christ, and then those things continue to stay in a place of authority in our lives. 
So before we were saved, man, we, we maybe worshiped this idol or that idol, and then all of a sudden we got saved, but those things still remained in their place of authority. They still remained, a lot, they, they were still allowed to dictate our schedules and our budget. They still remained in a place of authority in our lives. You see, our values didn't really change. Our priorities really didn't change. Our worldview really didn't change. And can I say this? If you've been saved a few years and, and you're really struggling with this thing of the Christian life because you really do, you like, I love Jesus, the idea of Jesus, and I really get into his word, but there just seems to be this tension and there seems to be this conflict and I, I don't understand what it is. It probably is that old man and what God created you to be and is a new man wrestling with each other because while you have Christ in your life and he, his spirit is pulling you toward that which is right and that which glorifies him, you have your old values and your old priorities and your old worldviews literally wrestling one with another. And I want to encourage you with this. Surrender your priorities. Surrender your values. Surrender your old worldviews to his lordship. Offer them. As a sacrifice to the true and living God. And you're going to find an alignment that begins to happen. I'm telling you, one of the most difficult things to do is to try to live the Christian life, but keep the same values that you had from before you had saved. Keep the same priorities you had. Keep the same worldview. I'm just telling you, you want frustration? That's the biggest way to be frustrated as a Christian. Trying to... Be what you see in the Christian life, trying to be what you see in the Bible, but never actually change at the essence, at the core of what God wants you to see, wants to see happen. And so we talk about values, priorities, worldviews. These things dictate our lives, which leads us to our first thing that sometimes we give authority to in our lives, and that is this. Our first choice is the idols from our past. That's why the Bible says the God which your father served, these, these, these gods of your ancestors. Can I ask you today, are you going to serve the gods of your past? And maybe for some of you, it was possessions. You were materialistic before you got saved. It was all about that next thing you could get. It was all about that next boat. It was all about that next toy. It was all about the bigger house, the nicer car, more money, a bigger 401k, and possessions, materialism. That was the God of your past. And I'm wondering, has there been a moment where you've surrendered, where you've dethroned, you demoted that God, that idol, and allowed God, the living true God, and his word and his will to take up primary authority in your life, to dictate those areas where once materialism dictated. Now you're allowing God to dictate, God to be in control. For others of us, it's hobbies. There was a hobby from before we got saved, or maybe a hobby that our parents had. And, and like I said, can I, and I, 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 I'm going to get into this in a moment. We've got to be careful with this thing. Don't take this thing to ex, an extreme, all right? Hobbies are not bad. But when that hobby is able to be elevated to a position of authority, it now gets to dictate our schedule. It gets to dictate our budget. It gets to dictate what we will and will not do. It, it, it has authority over our choices. That, that hobby has been enthroned. And God no longer has authority over that hobby. That, by biblical definition, is idolatry. It's an idol. It's, it's a little G-O-D warring for your heart. And maybe it's a hobby. Not a bad thing. But a hobby now that has authority that God never intended for it to have. Uh, maybe it's a career. <laughs> okay, the Bible is very clear. If you do not work, you should not eat. That's what the Bible says, all right? So obviously God's all about work. God wants you to have a job. He wants you to work hard. But he does not want you to allow that career to dethrone his authority in your life. He wants you to keep that career at a proper priority. 
to keep that career at a proper place. You should never get to a place where your career dictates how you will live and dictates the agenda of your life and dictates your priorities and dictates what's value to you. Once you allow your career to sit on the throne room of your heart and have authority over that, I'm telling you what, the way you engage your career is going to become very unhealthy and it's going to affect other important relationships in your life. So maybe it's possessions, maybe it's hobbies, career. A lot of in American culture, it's entertainment. I, I mean, this America has become like the entertainment capital of the world. Like we live for entertainment. We live for our weekends. We want to be entertained. We want to be amused. Nothing intrinsically wrong with entertainment. Nothing intrinsically wrong with some amusements. I'm not preaching a doctrine of like, you know, total abstinence when it comes to entertainment or amusement. Okay, so don't take this thing to an extreme. What I'm saying is when that thing now gets to trump God's authority in your life, it gets to set the agenda for your schedule. It gets to set the agenda for how you will live your life. It has enthroned itself, whether you realize it or not. Once it trumps God's authority, it's becoming a God, little g God, an idol in your life. And it must be dethroned. It must be demoted. Now, let me caveat this. Be careful on how you interpret what I'm talking about right now. Let, let, me, let, me, just, let me talk about this for just a, m- a minute here, okay? Uh, as we said last week, there are people who have taken food and have made an idol out of food. They look to their food to give them a sense of comfort, a sense of satisfaction that really they need to find in God. They've, they've allowed it a position of authority that's unhealthy. And now the way they interact with their food is very unhealthy. Because they look to it for comfort when they should be looking to a God of comfort to provide for their soul what only he can provide them. Now, let me, let's, let's get interactive for a second. Is God against food intrinsically? Would God, if, you, if, if, if food has become the idol of your heart, is God saying, stop eating food? Stop it! You, you've made it an idol, stop eating. Just, if it's an idol, you, you quit that thing, you stop it. Don't, don't eat anymore. You made it an idol. No more for you. Bad Christian. Is that what God's saying? No. Now, I need you to stay with me this thing because I used, a, I used this example of food because now let's, let's talk about football for a second. We're going to pull this over. If you've allowed a hobby like football or you've allowed a sport or you've allowed some other thing, entertainment or amusement to become an idol, God is not intrinsically saying, no more football for you. No more entertainment for you. No more amusement for you. Okay, that's not intrinsically what we're talking about right now. What the Bible is saying is demote it. Crush the idol by demoting it. Demote it to a place where it no longer has the same authority in your life. Demote it to a level where it no longer is able to dictate your schedule and your budget and your priorities and your values. He's not saying, hey, stop watching football. That's what he's saying. He's saying, just don't let it trump God's authority in your life. Don't make it an idol. Okay? We talked about last week. This is, this is one for, we really struggle with this one when we talk about people who can make their families an idol. They look to their husbands. They look to their children to bring them a sense of something that really only God's supposed to give them. In some cases, it's rare. I don't even know if anybody in this room would struggle with this, but I'm just trying to illustrate for a moment. And you've allowed your relationship, how you engage your children, how you engage family to be the supreme thing in your life. It, it, holds, that, it holds that place of, of authority in your life. It dictates. It's the, it's the number one authority. 
going to dictate your agenda, dictate your spending, and dictate your behaviors. Now, I don't think most people struggle with that. Like I said last week, I think most people struggle on the other hand, on, on the flip side of this thing, where they're so enamored with themselves, they don't have time for their children, and they don't have time for their spouse. And, and so by dethroning the God of self... God's spirit would actually lead them to spend more time with their family and prioritize their children in a, in a greater way. That's probably more norm for our culture than the other, but just for sake of illustration. If there would be somebody who might be, and can I say this? I don't know. I can't think of one person right now who would fit in this situation, but I'm using this as illustration to help us understand this concept. If there is somebody who have allowed family or children to get elevated to a position of authority and literally now sits on the throne above what God and his word has to say, can I say this? God is not saying divorce your spouse and abandon your children. Don't take this thing to an extreme. It's not what God's saying at all. When we talk about getting rid of the idols, we're not talking about, well, well maybe my children are an idol, so is, 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 the, is God saying I need to get rid of my children? No. Please, please don't be immature spiritually and take this thing to an extreme. When you do that, here's what happens. You'll be able to set, set back and brush your hands and say, this idolatry thing's ridiculous, <laughs> obviously. See, when you misinterpret what we're talking about, it's easy for you to justify why you don't have to engage it at all. Don't do this. Be careful. Okay? When we talk about demoting idols, we're not talking about getting rid of them per se. Now, maybe the Spirit of God is. Maybe, you know, if your idol, if your idol is drug abuse, then, then maybe God does want your idol gone completely. But if your idol is football, maybe there's still a place for it in a healthy manner in your life. Just not enthroned as the final authority, dictating, having more authority than you allow God and his word to have. That's all we're saying. Um, notice what the Bible says, the gods that your fathers serve. We must stop letting things that used to be idols to us remain idols in our heart. That's why the apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter number three and verse 13, he, he goes on to say, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, notice this, forgetting those things which are behind. If there was an area where these things were idolatry, he says, I want you to let those things go. Not that you're letting them go completely. Not that you're saying, hey, I got to let go of this hobby completely. I got to let go of this child completely. No, you let go of the fact that it's an idol in your heart. You let go of the way you engage it. You see, that's what make something an idol. It's not that the, the thing itself is wrong. There's nothing wrong with football. There's nothing wrong here with having a hobby. There's nothing wrong with these. Like we said last week, these are good gifts. These are wonderful gifts that God gives us as his children. What's wrong is not them intrinsically. Here's what gets wrong. When we idolize them, when we give them a place of authority in our lives, here's the way we engage them is unhealthy. And this is what I fear. For some folks, if you're not careful, if you have maybe idolized family, you'll begin to relate to your family in an unhealthy manner that in the long run will undermine that relationship. And you think because you're, you know, just this, that that's going to make it better. And it might be that the way you engage it because it's become an idol is actually unhealthy. And we're going to save this for a whole nother sermon because we're going to find a character in the Bible who idolized family. And we're going to see what God did. It's kind of severe. And how God worked in his heart through it until once he was able to enthrone God once again. Okay? The thing is not wrong. How you engage it becomes unhealthy. 
That's what idolatry is about. And so the choice here of our idols from the past, we're all worshipers. The question is what we worship. Let's move on to the middle of the verse 15. Here's another choice right here. Notice it says, and if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served, which were on the other side of the flood, or notice this, the God of the Amorites, get this, in whose land ye dwell. Get that little phrase, in whose land ye dwell. He says, here's choice number two. He said, these are things that people tend to idolize. These are things that people tend to worship. Notice what it says here. The idols here. The idols in whose land you dwell. Which leads us to our second thing that we often give authority to in our lives. That's number two. We give it to the idols from our culture. Notice where it says, in whose land you dwell. Can I say there's a lot of times where we allow idols from our culture to become more important to us than God would have them be? There are things in our culture that we enthrone and we give them authority to dictate what we will do and set the agenda for how we will live. And these are not necessarily things that our parents had. These are not something from our past life. They're just things that culture, pop culture says, hey, this is important. You should value this. You should value these things. How many, okay, especially in the last decade, celebrity culture has run amok. All right. I mean, there's reality television shows now for everything. I'm not preaching against reality television shows. That's That's not my point at all. Okay. My point is, our culture has an agenda. My point is that culture sets some things up. Not even necessarily wrong things. And my point is not to, to rail against everything in culture. That's not my point at all. My point is to say, sometimes culture elevates things to a higher priority than God's word would desire for it to be. Okay? The whole point of this series is to say, God needs to be the ultimate supreme authority in your life, above all else. Above all else. He created you. He sustained you. And he has the right to be the ultimate authority in all areas of your faith, what you believe and practice, how you behave. And that's what it means to allow God, to allow his lordship over your life. Now, I'm going to get into this in two weeks. But don't get too overwhelmed by this. Can I say this? You can't fix this issue. Only Christ can. And as we're going to see in two weeks, it's not till we recognize who we are in Christ that Christ truly, he already defeated these idols of our heart. He already has crushed them. He's already given us the victory in Christ. We don't have to stress over this thing. We don't have to, well, I guess I got to kind of crush this idol down. It's not your job. It's Jesus. He did it. It's done. We're going to align ourselves with that reality and we're going to talk about how, how to practically, functionally do that later. Don't get all overwhelmed. Like, I could never do what, you know, crush this idol. You don't have to worry about it. Jesus already done it. And it's just aligning yourself with what he's already declared you to be. What he's already declared happened at the moment of justification. And we're going to get into some of the theology of that in a moment. So don't get too, (gasps) don't fall too much under the weight of this thing. You've already got victory, whether you realize it or not. You've already been given the victory in this area. So don't. Don't feel like I could, I I can't live up to this. You can. In Christ, you have victory. We're going to see here there are gods of culture. Um, Matthew chapter number four, you remember where Jesus is on the sermon of, uh, uh, Jesus is on the mount being tempted by by Satan. And And there in that passage talks about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Those things culminate in current culture as basically the three major gods that so many people in our culture struggle with. That's money, that's sex, and that's celebrity status, popularity, whatever you want to call it. 
The gods of culture, the gods that say these things are above all. Now, all of those things in and of themselves may not be bad. Money is not intrinsically bad. Sex is not intrinsically bad. They're gifts from God. But they have their certain place. They have their certain realms. And God says, I want them to stay within those realms. Letting God be the ultimate authority dictating on the throne room of our heart how we interact with those things. The gods of our culture. Uh, I, don't, I think they're going to throw this on the screen, but sometimes God's blessings are not what he gives, but what he takes away. So stop trying to pick up what God has told you to put down. See, we tend to think of God's blessings as he gave me this and he gave me those things. Sometimes some of God's biggest blessings are what he took away from you. And if we're not careful because we idolize some of these things God took away, we're always trying to pick them back up. Notice what the text here, the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. This, this last week, I don't know if I shared this, uh, a couple weeks ago, my, my son, just, he loves basketball. He really enjoys it. He loves the sport. And, and so my wife signed him up for one of the city leagues here in uh, Fresno. And uh, I kind of came, and I was just going to take my son, you know, to go to the basketball game and, and things along those lines. And we went to practice a couple times, and I was sitting there. And if you, if you know me, I, I'm just not the sitting type. I, I, I sat through one practice, and I was like, I can't do this. So I went to the coach, and I said, hey, do you need an assistant? <laughs> and obviously looking at me, I'm, I'm, no, <laughs> I'm no basketball pro by any stretch of the imagination. He kind of looked me up, looked me down. I, he thought, man, maybe I would... Get, you know, produce some bad habits in the kids or something like that. But he said, sure, why not, you know, get involved. And uh, so, we, man, we we're just, I was just listening to they doing whatever they tell me to do. I and mean, we're having a great time with it and things. And, and, the, and then the coach tells me the first day, he says, hey, I'm not, not going to be able to make it to the game. You know, would you, would you like to jump in there and kind of coach? I'm like, hey, we'll have fun with this thing. And we had a, we had a great time and it was fun in, this, in, our, in our little league. We were having a, a great time with it in our first game, all right? And this is probably a point of pride here, but I'll throw it out anyway. We won 42 to 2 in our very first game. <laughs> You say, man, isn't there a mercy rule? Not when I'm the coach. I'm telling you what. All right, we're, keep going, guys, you know, you know. And so I, I it was, it really, it really was, probably shouldn't, have, I probably should have toned it down toward the end, but I was kind of getting into it a little bit. And, uh, and uh, so I'm driving home and my, my son and I have been going to practice. He got two practices a week for an hour and then a game and things like that. And, and, and as I've been thinking even through this stuff, I was driving home one day with my son, Anderson. We started a conversation and I just, I, I understand how sports, especially with teenagers, can become really, it can become exactly what we're talking about. It becomes an idol. It just does for a lot of teenagers. And, and I'm just trying to sow some, you know, seeds of biblical perspective into his heart and into his mind. And we're driving home, and I said, hey, bud, I said, let's talk for a minute. And so I, one of the ways I try to get my son thinking is by asking questions. And I, and I asked him, I said, what, I said, what, what, what would you do if, uh, if uh, one day uh, it was time for practice and you didn't feel like going to practice because you were playing this video game and you were on this level and whatever, you were playing the video game and you didn't feel like going to practice. You made the commitment that you would be there. You committed that you would, you know, be at practice when, when coach said to be at practice. And, and, uh, and I come to, up to get you for, for, for practice time and you say, I don't feel like going. I said, what's the priority? Your video game or your commitment to be at practice? And he kind of thought about it for a moment. He said, yeah, I, I'd have to be at practice. Have to go to practice. That, that would be the priority in that, in that situation. I said, yeah, you're right. I said, even if you don't feel like it. He said, yeah, even, even if I don't feel like it, I probably should go. And so I said, let me ask you another question. And this was hypothetical. I knew it wouldn't happen or else I wouldn't have signed him up for the league. But I, he didn't know that, so I threw it out anyway. 
I said, what would happen if coach uh, called the game on Sunday morning at 10.30? And I said, he told you that, hey, game's at 10.30 on Sunday morning, and, uh, you know, the games were going to be at that time. I said, what would you do? And I said, you know, we kind of talked about the priority that God places on church. Hebrews chapter number 10 talks about forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. But even so much the more as the day's coming, as, as Jesus is getting ready to come back again, we need to do it more. And we talked through this passage a little bit. I said, in that situation, what's more important? He thought about it for a while. And he said, I guess I wouldn't be able to play in the game. I'd have to go to church. I said, good. I'm trying to instill in my son that, hey, there is a, basketball has a priority. It's important. It teaches you work ethic and discipline and those types of things. But there are also things that are more important. And I don't want to train children to just give lip service to God and know how to put cool things and say cool things and sing cool things, but really not being fleshed out in the practical, functional arenas of their life. Now, let me say this. That is not a sermon. I'm not preaching that to you, okay? I'm just talking about how the Spirit of God led our family to express some of these values in our lives. You're going to have to wrestle with these things on your own, all right? And how those things are going to flesh out practically and functionally through your life. But I think it is important that we teach our children how to exercise and think through biblical priorities and what it functionally, practically looks like when God is enthroned in our hearts and give them opportunities to make choices and even make the wrong choices, but give them that opportunity to exercise their faith in the arenas of culture. We're all worshipers. The only question is who or what are we worshiping? Are we worshiping the idols from our past, the idols from our culture? Now notice the end of verse 15, and this is our last choice. And if it seem evil unto you to, ser- uh, to serve the Lord, if you don't think this is relevant, if you think this is absurd, he, he goes on to say, at least make the conscious choice. Choose you this day whom you'll serve, whether the gods which your father served, the, the god of your ancestors, or the god in whose land ye dwell, the gods of your culture, the gods that the people around you are saying is important. But he says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. See, here's what God's saying. God's saying, hey, I want to be the final authority in your life. God's saying, I want to be the one that ultimately sets the agenda for your schedule. I want to be the one that sets the priorities, that sets your worldview, that sets your values. He says, I want to be Lord in your life. And so worshiping God is not just about singing to him. It's not just about, you know, putting nice little uh, things maybe on Facebook or this place or talking about him when you're with people. That's an expression of your worship. That's how that worship gets kind of fleshed out. But the essence of worship is is enthroning him in your heart, giving him a place of ultimate authority in your soul. And God's saying, that's what I want. I created you. I sustained you. That's what I desire, to be the one in charge. That's why Colossians chapter number one, verse 16 says, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. Notice this, all things were created, get this, by him, 
And notice this word, for him. I don't know how else to say this, but you weren't created for yourself. You weren't created for your pleasures. You weren't created for your agenda. You weren't created so you could just formulate your own worldview. You were created by him, but you were also created for him. You were created so that your life would ultimately bring glory and honor to the person of Jesus Christ. It is why you were created. Can I say this? Don't live to be something that you were not created to be. You were created to bring him glory you were created for him let him be god capital g capital o capital d enthrone him let him have lordship in your life jesus addressed this a lot in luke chapter number six verse 46 jesus says and why call ye me lord lord Uh, in the greek that word literally means master He says, why are you calling me master, master? Master is one who's in control. A master is one who's in charge. A master is one who's in authority. And Jesus says, why do you call me Lord? Why do you call me master? Why do you call me the one in authority? Why do you call me the one in charge? And do not the things which I say. He goes on in Matthew chapter number 15. And he says, this people... They draweth nigh unto me with their mouths and honoreth me with their lips. But notice this, but their heart is far from me. See, idolatry has to do with the heart. It does not have to do with the object of your idolatry. It's not just about this thing or that thing. It's not just, it's not, this thing's not about your food addiction. This thing is not about your sport, uh, you know, enthrallment. That's not what we're, get, get your mind past this. It has nothing to do with the object. It has everything to do with the way you interact with those things. It's, your job's not wrong. Your job's probably not bad, but the way you interact with it might be. The way you enthrone it upon your heart. And Jesus says, you draw, you come to church and you talk the talk and you jump on Facebook and you'll put all these Jesus things on there and you'll sing praises to God But he says, when it comes to your values, when it comes to your priorities, when it comes to your worldview, when it comes to those things that I want to dictate, those things I want lordship over, he says, your heart is far from me. Now, once again, we get back to the caveat. We can't do anything about our heart. Only Christ can. But here's what I want to encourage you to do. To surrender. You can't change it. God can. You've tried and you failed, and that's why you're getting cynical. I can't change my heart. You can't change. That takes, that takes God's sovereign power doing something that we cannot do. So don't, don't, don't sit under the weight of trying to manipulate your flesh into doing something better. This is not about, this is not about performance-driven Christianity, just being better or doing more. I'm not preaching a, a doctrine that says you can do it. Be better. I'm preaching a doctrine that says you can't, so give it to Jesus. But these things help us understand where our heart's at. Now, I'll just say this. I can't, I can't know your heart. If you're sitting here today and you're like, oh, pastor's preaching at me, just know this. I'm not because I don't know your heart. I really don't. I judge no person in this room. I judge none of you. If something I've said hits close to home, just give that to the Holy Spirit. I want you to know from my perspective, I love you. I'm for you. And I want God's best for you. I want you to live the life God designed for you to live. And I know that that life involves elevating Christ 
to that ultimate supreme position of authority in your heart. And get this, I really believe when that happens, you will, you'll live the life you were destined to live. You'll enjoy a peace and a hope. You'll enjoy a life more abundant when you allow God to be supreme in your heart. So here's, here's the last thing, and I'll, I'll throw it up on the screen. Here's what, here's what we want to boil this thing down to. I want to encourage you with this simple thought. Choose your master. Choose your master. See, think about this for a moment. When someone turns their career into an idol, they often turn their family into a sacrifice. See, there's nothing wrong with having a career. When you engage it properly, when you engage in a way that God would want you to engage it, it's good. But once it gets elevated to an enthroned position, you've got to start making sacrifices to it. That's part of what being part of an idol demands. An idol demands sacrifices and an idol demands rituals. And so when someone turns their career into an idol, they often turn their family into a sacrifice. Get this. When someone turns their possessions into their idol, materialism, they often turn their finances into a sacrifice. And so you'll find somebody who's very materialistic and wants more. You'll find that their finances get sacrificed because of it. And they can't keep their budget together and they're constantly not... And, and, and often, someone who's materialistic, someone who makes possessions their idol, turns their finances into a sacrifice. When someone turns sex into their idol, they will often turn their marriage into the sacrifice. When someone turns food into their idol... They often turn their health into the sacrifice. When someone turns success and achievement into their idol, they often turn their children into a sacrifice. These are the things that get sacrificed in the pursuit of of sacrificing to this idol. When someone turns shopping into their idol, they often turn their credit into a sacrifice. When someone turns traditions and a church turns the traditions into their idol. In church world, we do this. We take our traditions, our preferences. We turn and we make an idol. You say, church people do this? Yes, they do it all the time. They take their traditions, they take their preferences, they idolize those things. And when a church turns their traditions and their preferences into an idol, they often turn the lost outside their walls into the sacrifice. And oftentimes, that church loses its evangelistic effectiveness. When someone turns entertainment into their idol, I've seen where they've turned their job into a sacrifice. When someone turns romantic love into their idol, nothing wrong with romantic love, but depending on the way you engage it and the way you flesh that thing out and the way it all kind of works out, oftentimes when people turn romantic love into their idol, they often turn their purity into the sacrifice. When someone turns football into an idol, there are times where they turn their church attendance into a sacrifice. When someone turns self into an idol, they'll often turn their relationships into a sacrifice. Can I say this? Every idol has corresponding sacrifices. And this is why idols are so dangerous. Because they will force you to sacrifice things that should not be sacrificed. They'll ask you and beckon you to sacrifice things and perform rituals that are very unhealthy to you and those around you. But when you enthrone Christ, He'll always lead you to interact with those things around you in a healthy manner. And this is why we need to enthrone Christ. Choose 
who your master is. What, what is it that is going to get to trump everything else in your life? What is it? What one thing you get, trumps everything else? That's the question today. Not whether or not you'll serve. Everybody's going to serve. The question is what will you serve? The creation or the creator? Choose your master.